Hello and welcome to the latest Balderton podcast. I'm Ben Goldsmith and I'm here with the co-founders of Touch Surgery, Jean Namy and Andre Chow, who... Doctors. Doctor, goodness me, how how dare I forget to (laughs) to give you your proper monikers, doctors. I'm here with a brace of doctors for the first time on the Balderton podcast. I'm here with exceptionally qualified people, two doctors. Uh, And what they did was they made quite an extraordinary decision that lots of people would marvel at, I'm sure. After qualifying as surgeons and, you know, doing rather well, so I understand, they decided to chuck it in and become entrepreneurs because they saw an element of the surgical procedure that they could make better. Better. Guys, for those that don't know, please explain what touch surgery is and what exactly you're aiming to, to achieve. So, so yeah, I throw in the doctor's statement because I don't know whether or not we feel like doctors anymore. <laughs> uh, I think we're kind of uh, doctors, but doctors with a, with a, very, different, um, a very different goal uh, in terms of we once upon a time used to use scalpels and now we, uh, we use code and, and pixels and data to try and make healthcare better. And when was it? How old is Touch Surgery now? Andre? So we got the first funding from Bolton uh, about two years ago. Um, so that's really when we first started up. Um, but as you know, I guess most stories start well beyond the first funding stage. So, you know, John and I started building this ourselves probably about four or five years ago now. Yeah, and uh, I guess my, myself and Andre knew each other from, from way before then when uh, we were doctors, right? And we weren't running around with uh, colourful gym shoes on. Um, he was uh, my uh, my senior in hospitals, and we did many on calls together. And I remember one of them specifically, where we were up until like four a.m. in the morning in uh, accident and emergency. I don't even remember that one, Andre. Um, when we had that patient with a, a lot of bleeding, and uh, you know, we were there are there are a few occasions in your life as a physician where you really are trying to save someone's life. And I think that was one of them. I, I remember clearly being with Andre uh, up late until 4 a.m. in the morning doing that. So we've got a background kind of knowing each other back as academics and as doctors. Um, and I guess that's... that's and with stories like that, it seems you've both definitely cut your teeth in the surgical field. When was it that the um, the idea dawned on you for touch surgery? Because touch surgery, for those that don't know, it's um, it helps surgeons... Uh, train and hone their skills without the need for either practicing on live or dead bodies, so I understand it. Um, when was it in your surgical practice that the idea came about that, look, we need other ways to practice, we need other ways to, to hone our skills? I guess an, an idea and the way that we look at ideas, they evolve from a problem and a belief. And so when did the problem come about? Both of us as as uh, trainees in surgery, I think we both experienced a clear problem of trying to get into the operating room, right? Um, I remember Andre being outside of the operating room as my registrar, my senior, and him being incredibly frustrated at not getting an opportunity to go in and do a, do a lap appendix. I don't know if you remember that, but he, I could see the frustration amongst myself and my colleagues that we wanted to learn surgery. We wanted to be the best surgeons that we could be, but the tools hadn't changed for hundreds of years. And if you look at the oldest picture of someone learning how to operate in one of the oldest historical medical textbooks, and if you look at how surgery is trained today, it's like, spot the difference. And believe it or not, there's not it just much. just hasn't, hasn't evolved, in your opinion, or certainly hasn't evolved enough. It definitely hasn't evolved. I mean, surgical training is very much an apprenticeship, um, similar to any other kind of craft specialty. 
um, you learn by doing. So, you know, I think every surgeon remembers the first time they operated and, you know, the first time they learned how to operate was always on the real patient, right? So my first time I learned how to take someone's appendix out was on a 12-year-old kid, someone's son, middle of the night, and there was me never having done one before being taken through one. And kind of up to that point, I'd never really been formally assessed or taught really the steps of the procedure, what to watch out for and so on. It was a case of, here, have a scalpel, have a go. Um, which may sound scary to a lot of people, but that's it the does way... does sound scary. So that's the way that surgeons are trained in every single hospital around the world. Um, and that's something that Jean and I both firmly believe shouldn't be the way that surgeons are trained going forward. And at the same time, I think the... It used to be a system where there was a lot more mentorship, a lot more apprenticeship. It used to work because people were around all the time. You trained in one hospital. You got to know your consultant. You weren't leaving every four months. You weren't you know, required to leave the hospital after a certain amount of hours. Um, you weren't running around trying to provide more service provision than, than learning. And... Um, you know, that system is broken because of many, many factors, you know, budgets and times and, you know, time to spend and opportunities and rotations and, and all these things. And surgeons know this, um, which is why simulation has been talked about for, you know, the last, in the last 10 years. You know, we need to become like the aviation industry. You know? So I guess in, in some respects, touch surgery is a bit of a, f is the flight simulator for surgeons. Um, but it's on, on a device that is accessible. So, so you, you know, your opinion on this is that the, the system of mentorship, which seems to have, as you say, not changed for maybe hundreds of years, used to be a lot better, we, you know, before certain budget implications and other elements of modern life have forced surgeons to move around between hospitals a lot more. This mentorship system was actually okay. It was actually a lot better. But now, say what, in the last what, 10, 15 years, perhaps, is not fit for purpose. And this is what touch surgery are looking to help remedy. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a number of ways in which surgery, the profession, has changed, right? So if you look at surgery itself, the number of procedures that surgeons need to learn now are far greater than they were 50 years ago. And the complexity of those procedures are also much, much higher. And why is that? Is that because of other... That's, be that's because of technology advances, right? So, for example, I'm going to take an example, a simple hernia repair, right? Used to be one standard way of doing it with a suture. Then we invented meshes and then different types of meshes. And then we had keyhole surgery. And now there are two other types of keyhole surgery techniques. Now we have robotic surgery. So when a patient comes to you now with a hernia, you suddenly, rather than having one option to treat them, you've got seven, right? And the surgeon's meant to know all of them um, using increasingly complicated pieces of kit. And whilst that has gone on, you know, I'll, I'll just give the UK as an example, you know, Laws have come in to protect surgeons from overworking, but that has the knock-on effect of meaning that we get less experience. So we're in a situation where we have more to learn and less time to learn it in, but the system of training itself hasn't changed or adapted, and that's why we're facing so many challenges. And, and surgeons have changed themselves, and so have patients. You know, patients expect more. You know, that patient walks in now with a huge amount of knowledge, and the internet has, has opened that up to patients, which is great. You know, patients do want to know about things and informed patients are a great patient to have, but they're also a patient who understands that there are seven different options. At the same time, you know, surgeons themselves have changed. You know, we want a social life. You know, we do, we have a, a customer experience that we're used to through things like Expedia and things like Uber, 
and things like, you know, just Netflix. These are all on-demand services. On-demand services where we just have access to what we want, what we want and what we need. And yet the healthcare and the systems that train us just don't function this way. They're not on-demand. They're not easy. The user experience and the customer experience hasn't been designed to fit the purpose of the objective and the aim. Uh, you know, we are still referred to e-learning where we have to go through a, a system of questions and, you know, those questions are multiple choice. And, and yet there's a lot of evidence within the literature that none of these questions are actually a measure, a direct measure of your ability. There are some sort of inferred proxy measure that's very far removed from what you actually do. And so I guess when we built Touch Surgery, we really wanted to have a, a way to really impact your practical application and to give you a, a kind of on-demand service that you could use, which had a level, a level of a reference tool, and you can learn and rehearse and simulate and discuss the steps of an operation, uh, review them, and objectively evaluate yourselves, share that, share that that measure of competence and be empowered uh, and connected to a global surgical community to make better decisions and to ultimately improve patient outcomes. Um, and so it's a different way of kind of looking at things, taking those changes, thinking about the problem and experiencing the problem ourselves, and then working with a huge amount of people that are far smarter than ourselves at Touch Surgery Labs to, to, really, to really make an impact. So Touch Surgery is an on-demand solution that helps surgeons train and helps solve this dual problem of surgeons wanting to get into the operating theatre more and, you know, be better surgeons, which is something we can all, you know, ambitious people can understand, uh, and also satiating this need that we all have now for on-demand services. So, you know, you guys have built this. Touch Surgery is ever-evolving. When you first came up with the idea and were working through the first prototypes and concepts, was there a lot of pushback from the uh, medical industry as was? Did they did they think it was a good idea? To be honest, we've been... I don't know whether fortunate is the right word, right? But we have received very little pushback at all from the medical community. And actually, most of what we get is a huge amount of support and encouragement. And I think that really comes from the fact that when we decided to build this, it was to address a real need that we ourselves felt, right? So we understood the problems and we built something in direct response to that. Um, there was no kind of like brainstorming around, oh, let's pick a problem to solve. It was literally a problem that Jean and I faced every single day. All of our colleagues faced every single day um, and we wanted to fix it. So, you know, even now when we travel around the world, you know, we go to, you know, countless different medical campuses, Stanford, Harvard, you know, Johns Hopkins and so on. And to be honest, we're always welcomed with open arms because the guys there understand the problem that we're trying to, fa trying to fix. Um, and they're very supportive in helping us to try and fix it. And, and the problem is a global problem. So although we have a huge amount of experience and work out in the US and we were aware of the problem in the UK, it's so interesting that this, this issue isn't an issue that's just faced by surgeons here, but it's faced by surgeons everywhere. You know, how do you become an expert? How do you retain your expert mastery? How do you stay up to date with all the new things that continue to come out beyond your training? How do you deliver a service? And how are you empowered and connected to everybody else that delivers that service? in a meaningful way so that you're doing the best that you can for your patients. And the problem is just so deep and so well-established and so well 
understood within the global surgical community that, as Andre says, the pushback hasn't been there. It's been more, you know, uh, an open arm reception of you know, gratitude. Oh, that's, yeah, really decent. And obviously means that within the medical community, you've hit on something that surgeons at large would like to solve. On that note, with touch surgery, there's also a, a almost social community element, as you say. After you perform certain operations using the system, you are scored, for want of a better word. What happens that in the back end? Uh, are, are all surgeons that practice using touch surgery? Is there some kind of league table? Is there the, like, the Premier League champion at the end of the season and the Champions League qualifiers in the top spots? Um, so, I mean, idealistically, you'd think that would be the case, but really... The way that we look at it is we want to capture data that helps our users and empowers them to do a better job. And ultimately, our belief is that you know, using code and using data and using pixels, that we can make healthcare better and that we can make everyone better and everyone the best. And so creating a league table from our, from our point of view doesn't completely drive towards our mission. It helps people benchmark and understand where they need to be using some research and I'll let Andre kind of speak a little bit about that but using some research we try and benchmark and help people understand where they need to be um, but we don't essentially qualify people based on any so instead of, data. of ranking one surgeon against the next you rank everyone against you know uh, some kind of perfect measure of the best possible way to do that procedure which seems I guess a lot more helpful yeah, so we, we've run a number of studies that kind of inform our kind of our, our, store, our scoring system. So one of the studies which has recently been published basically took our platform and used it to test groups of novices and groups of experts, uh, which allowed us to benchmark scores um, and analyze the data for, perform for performance for each of those groups, which then feeds back to our scoring algorithms and helps us to, to kind of figure out the best way to score people. And like Jean says, it's not about figuring out which surgeon has a better score than the other, but it's about driving people who aren't experienced up the learning curve so that their levels of knowledge approximate those of an expert. That's what we're trying to do in, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think the, the way that we look at it, the scoring and the way that we look at the research is, is kind of threefold. The first thing is, does the score um, that you get upon learning does that match the level of an expert? And so you may start off as a novice and we try and get you up that learning curve to match the level of the expert. Then the next question that we ask ourselves is, you know, if you're able to score that, how long does that score remain? And how often do you have to come back? And what's that learning depreciation or that loss of learning look like? Because we all know that we forget things. And then the last piece is, if you get that score and the app says, hey, congratulations, you're, you're now at the level of an expert. Does it actually translate into real-world activity? Does it actually have an impact on the way that you do something? Does it actually make you better in the real world? You know, that, that online-to-offline debate, you know, do we really make people better so that when they go into the operating room, they're doing a technique in a better way and making that patient outcome better? And some of the studies of been really encouraging regarding that last piece and that's something you guys are really serious about because uh you know when you walk into your labs which are just down the road here from where we're sitting at Balderton HQ um 
as well as having teams that focus on animation, as well as having teams of you know healthcare professionals that understand the problems, you also focus on research. You are always uh, analysing the data that the users of touch surgery are providing to you, and always trying to better understand that. I mean, what's is there one single thing or a couple of things that you found out during that research process that you just didn't expect? I think. I mean, firstly, just getting onto the research theme, you know, research is incredibly important to us. Um, you know, we, you know, when we started this, we set out on a mission not just to make an app that looked cool, but actually something that had an impact. And when you're talking about surgery and when you're talking about patient lives, you actually need to provide levels of evidence that demonstrate that your system works. Um, and that's what we've, we've done. So now we've run about six or seven studies all slightly different, but um, kind of pushing us up that level of evidence pathway towards really demonstrating an effect on patient outcomes. And the way we run these studies is also kind of, we never run them ourselves. They're always run independently uh, with academic institutions. So we've partnered now, for example, with Imperial College, Stanford, Dartmouth, Johns Hopkins, and so on, in order to actually provide studies that are unbiased that will be published in the academic literature that will support touch surgery, but also digital training in general. Um, and on the note of the lab, I think you know, fortunate is a word that Andre uses and I use a lot. We, we feel very fortunate to, to have been able to find a group of individuals who are working at touch surgery in the labs who are in some way connected to surgery, whether their parents have been surgeons or have had some surgical experience. Oh, really? Is that a trend that you've seen that it a lot of people that come to, to work for a, you have surgery in the blood somehow? It seems to be a pretty powerful trend. And we've got you know, an incredible amount of people who are supremely talented from you know, Pixar to movie industries to kind of games engineers to researchers to to data scientists and to games engineers and to myself and Andre, I mean, you know, we just feel fortunate to be to be able to be surrounded by by people who are helping tackle the problem and who come in with a completely different optic and a completely different view and a completely different lens on on what healthcare is. Well, you use the word fortunate, which probably, you know, uh, betrays your modesty of, of what you've done because these guys obviously want to come to work for you because you're doing something awesome and you're, you're working towards a, a real impact. However, you've got one of the most uh, diverse in terms of skills teams across the entire portfolio at Balderton. You've got, as you explained, healthcare professionals, animators, gaming guys, data scientists, all under the same roof. You guys are the entrepreneurs. You're the, the leaders of this company. Does that pose any kind of challenges or difficulties having so many different kinds of expert I suppose all in the same team I, mean, I think the way that we try and look at it is we have always taken the motto of uh, finding people who are uh, much more skilled and much more intelligent than ourselves we also take the principle of we never expect people to work for us but for people to work towards a goal and an objective and a vision and a belief um, we, in our interviewing process, I've not ever really looked at the CVs, <laughs> I'll, I'll admit. And that often happens with guys who are, who are running the hiring process who I trust. My real objective is to understand what someone's belief is. And if they're coming to work in the lab 
because they want to be involved in what we feel is going to be a cornerstone of digital healthcare and people who want to drive that vision forward and who want to impact on on healthcare and patients using their experiences and the funny thing is you know i i know that we always look at healthcare as something that's delivered by a surgeon or something that's delivered by a doctor or something that's delivered by a nurse and it's true frontline healthcare professionals do deliver a huge amount of healthcare but sometimes i kind of take a step back now and i think well we've got an entire lab full of people who want to deliver healthcare and they're doing it using their talents and their skill sets and are contributing to a vision and to a, a product that is by proxy helping people deliver healthcare. So you need your team to be as dedicated to making a genuine change as you guys are, it seems, which is a pretty awesome culture to have. So almost to end, as I noticed, we're running out of time. If all goes well, if all goes to plan with touch surgery, and it seems to be, you know, touch wood going in the right direction at the moment, in 10 years' time, maybe 15 years' time, or whatever timeline you like to put on it, how would you like to have seen the uh, surgical industry, the surgical profession uh, change for the better? I think it really comes down to impact on patient care, right? We want to chart a path that can literally bring us to the conclusion that what we have done has improved patient outcomes, improved their lives, or even saved lives. And that's not just within the developing world, sorry, the developed world, but also within the developing world as well. You know, a lot of what we do at the moment, you know, and talk about at the moment concentrates on, you know, North American hospitals and so on. But, you know, we both know that really some of the greatest impact that we can have are probably in areas that have, you know, less resource, right? Um, and I think, you know, if we're talking about a timeline of 10 to 15 years, you know, I want us to have an impact on global health. I think really that's where we're going. Um, and to, to second that, I, I completely share the vision then that my co-founder has um, and to just add a little bit more colour what we what we view healthcare as right now is there's been great advances in antibiotics there's, and those made a, a, a change on you know, quality of life we've seen advances in technology that have made a change on quality of life and what, what we're able to do and deliver and I think there is a space right now where this digital dissemination of knowledge and this digital ability to enhance um, delivery of healthcare is going to make an impact. And we hope that it will be as impactful as some of those greatest discoveries that have come before us. And we want to work hard to really measure it, uh, evaluate it, be mindful of things that may sound like hype, but provide real evidence and uh, a real uh, structure to, to try and improve the way that surgery is delivered. A huge and uh, very, very admirable ambition of you both. So thank you for coming in, doctors. And I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, take care.